a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We're back with another episode of The Wellness Collective, speaking with Kerwin Ray. We talk about why growth matters the most, according to Kerwin, how becoming irrelevant in our children's life is essential, where to start the journey of self-awareness, how to define your values and then help determine your goals to make you more successful and why failure is essential and how life is a bit like a video game and, of course, so much more. We know you're going to love this next episode. Hello, Kerwin. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hello, Kerwin Ray. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. There you go. We so we've got Nat. Who's Nat? This who's your, who's your sidekick? My, sorry, this is Cecilia, my co-host. She's my sidekick. And C- Cecilia. Um, yes, yeah. And you, we can call her Cecil if we really want to. Um, oh, but, my grandfather's name is Cecil. Oh, my my son's Cecil. name is Noah Declan Cecil Ray. So. Oh, that's a good name. Cecilia likes to oh, call that. You have to say Cecil with a sibling. Otherwise, shush, it's not shush, as shush. good. We're going to be here for a long time. You guys time. are like, you guys have got vibe. You guys have got we're chemistry. Like, we're like Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. <laughs> Kermit the Frog here with the... <laughs> K- Kerwin the Frog. frog. Yeah, it's good. Oh, Kermit. my gosh. <laughs> Thank you for joining us because um, we've only <laughs> tried to do work. this for a long time. I was thinking <laughs> about... Cecilia, I was mm. on Kerwin's podcast, which is when, oh, well, I kind of was introduced to Kerwin and his work a long time ago, and mm. then I had the privilege of being on his podcast mm. in which it didn't record. So we had to do it again. <gasps> no, it recorded. It recorded, but we actually had a um, we had a, a massive crash in our server. We lost 12 different banks oh, of server we lost. No. We lost 42 interviews, all gone, um, some of which will never be able to be repeated because, um, yeah, I think there was one person who was n- no longer available and someone else died. And oh, gosh. It's all good. Well, then it did give me the privilege when I got to re-record it. I mean, you know, two years later or something, I talked about penises. <laughs> <laughs> Men and with penis pain. It was excellent. Really? I didn't do that yeah. the first time around, so it was clearly Are you worth an it. Expert on the subject. We were talking about how women <laughs> accept pain and men. If men had a pain in their penis at the same time every month, they'd do something about it. No, but they women wouldn't. accept they, it to be part of having a period. <laughs> it's true, but men don't like to go to the doctor. So, so what would they do with a penis still pain? They'd freak out about it. They would freak out, yes. sure. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, the, the only point of relativity I have on this is I've got a new puppy at the moment and he's. Seems to just have this fascination with biting me on the penis. So <laughs> it's, uh, he's just a crutch yeah. height. How delightful. Yeah, well, he's well, the perfect height. He, just, oh. he knows he gets a response from me. It's the, like I'm like a squeaky toy. It's like, ooh. <laughs> That's true. That's pretty funny. Dogs are funny though, aren't they? I was just at my friend's house. I was doing some work with her and she has this Labrador who is delightful but has to be exactly where you need to go. Yeah, no. And she's like a lump. Oh, like hilarious. I'm just yeah, walking right. here. Get out of the way. Yeah. What is it? With I'm dogs? not good with. I'm oh. not good. I need the dog to be mine, and then I'll probably be a bit better. But anyway, Kerwin, right. thank you for joining us. I feel like we should just use this introduction. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Oh, honestly, <laughs> we've already kicked off. As far as I'm concerned, this is the best opening you're probably going to get. Penis <laughs> pain all the exactly. way. Exactly. But how do we compartmentalize? We cannot compartmentalize you. When I was looking at some questions to put together and some talking points, I'm like. <laughs> Um, okay, yes, business strategist, but like it spills into personal and then you talk a lot about parenting and you're just all the things. How do you sort of, when you, when, what's, what's your, your elevator pitch? What is yeah. it? Come on. Oh, fuck. I hate that question. Like people, <laughs> when people say, what do you do? I normally say I'm an ass model for Calvin Klein. Nice. And, um, and they normally laugh exactly like Nat is. And I say, if I walked in backwards, Nat, you wouldn't be laughing so hard. <laughs> um, but look, truth be known, I, I find it very difficult to answer that question. I often just say I'm in media and education because that's the easy way out. I guess the truth is I've always been someone who's been interested in growth. And by virtue, I guess you could say I had a a really interesting childhood. I had a great childhood in so many respects. But like many kids, you know, I had a lot of trauma, I guess you could say, in a range of different forms. Uh, and throughout my life, early life specifically, I had a, a you know a range of trauma that was introduced, and by virtue of that trauma, it created I guess you could say symptoms and what even could be labelled as conditions that you know fed me mm. a, a set of behaviours that made me really explore myself. And by virtue of that, you know I've really just explored every aspect of my own psychology, my own performance. I guess many aspects of, you know, my own, and then so early in this stage, you know, although it's 20 or 30 or almost 30 years in, my own spiritual self, I guess you could say. But I'm someone that just gets obsessive about things that I'm interested in. So when I got into business, I realized that a huge part of it was around, you know, psychology. And so by virtue of me diving into psychology, I 
you know, dove deep into performance psychology. And what I started to realize was the things that were holding me back were in some cases the wounds that needed to be healed. And so by virtue of doing a lot of that work, I increased my level of performance and I same with my clients. And then along comes uh, my little son seven years ago. And Mm -hmm. by virtue of having such a high value on family, I just became obsessed with parenting (laughs) and becoming the absolute best. Like I literally have the goal to become the best. If there was an Olympic (laughs) trophy for the best dad, but really have the trophy. You do know that that parenting is a fraught uh, arrangement whereby... you will be cut down and you'll never be good enough in, in terms of I your know. child because that's just the way it goes. And, you, you know, you feel my, like I'm... My job is to become irrelevant. And yeah. that's the thing a lot of parents make the mistake of they, they, they want to be relevant in their kids' lives. And that's that's not independence, you know. And I don't mean irrelevant completely, but irrelevant from the perspective of, you know, the the, the goal of a, of a parent is to get a child to a point where they don't need you anymore. Yeah. You know, but I think a lot of parents find that incredibly threatening. And so as a result, they unintentionally engage in codependent dynamics and behaviours that produce levels of dependence that in some cases is, is not maintained between the parent and the child. It often gets, you know, transferred to partners, transferred to, in some cases, friends. Uh, but in most cases, it's intimacy, you know, but anyway. Did you have that as a kid? I grew up in a very codependent environment uh, and I know that would probably be very challenging for some people to hear and probably especially my mum and I, <laughs> you know, um, I love my mum and, you know, I, I, I sometimes get myself into a little bit of trouble with her because I do speak so openly. But, um, you know, one of the things that I need to frame this with, I had the most loving, caring, you know, adoring mum who did the very best that she could. But like everyone, and I've learned myself, I, I still I do the best that I can in every area, but I still make mistakes. Of course. You know, and by virtue of the mistakes that, you know, she made in most cases unwittingly and unconsciously, yeah, I've, I've had to do a lot of work on myself and codependence has been a big part of that. I just um, wonder I, when you, sorry to cut you off, but when you said no, at the beginning how, you know, you talked about your childhood and it's so funny because it's just, the pendulum swings, doesn't it, often for us as parents, we go the complete other way to what we might have had the, or what we didn't like about what we had, or the memories at least, because mm. yes. that's the other thing. It's what we remember it being, May not whether have it was been that or the not. accurate representation. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so, but I think that if we had the awareness coming into it, and let's face it, we know that there's no manual, well, no good manual anyway. Mm. They all seem to be a bit, you know, whatever floats It's easier boat, to get a license to drive a car than it is, in, well, it's easier to have a child than it is to get a license to drive a car. Crazy, right, right. But scary. if we had this awareness it would really change things just in the level of the expectation that we put on it upon ourselves, which then seems to have us constantly falling short. If we had the expectation, I feel, to eventually become exactly what you said, irrelevant, I wonder how that would, that's, that relieves a lot of pressure, but at the same time invites a lot of growth and learning. I think it's awesome. I've never actually heard anyone. I've never thought about it like that, to be honest. Really? Uh, and oh, here's the wow. thing. I think most people are afraid of being alone. So as a result, they they want to keep that level of dependence with their kids so they don't get left behind. But for me, you know, someone said this to me the other day when I was I was at lunch and I was talking about all the meditation I've done. And I, I've done Vipassana, which is um, quite a, I call it full contact meditation. It's 10 days vow of silence. You can't look at anyone. You can't talk to anyone. They separate the men and the women. And you're meditating from 4.30 in the morning until 9.30 at night, breaking for you know, food and discourse. But, it, you know, the, and as I was describing this, you know, the girl said, oh my God, that sounds so lonely. And I said, well, it would be if you didn't know who you were, you know, and if you don't have a relationship with yourself. And I think oftentimes parents invest themselves so much into the relationship with their child, they never invest themselves into the relationship or building a relationship with self. And so when the child isn't present or they're at school and they're like, you know, teary Tuesday, first day at school, they're <laughs> like, oh my God, my, my kid's growing up. It's like you know, they, they can maybe, and I don't know, this is, I guess, a, a hypothesis, feel that sense of aloneness. And when a child leaves the house, it becomes quite, I guess, catastrophic Yeah. Uh, for a parent to go, well, now I'm alone. It's all, you're not. You know, you've either got people around you, but more importantly, if you know who you are and if you've got a good relationship with self, then you're never going to be alone. I like that you're talking about this stuff because we've had a few guests recently who have been touching on the idea that you're made up of all of the things that have happened to you or that you've experienced throughout your life and how there can be things that you just don't even question until something will happen and then you look at it. That The example being we had a guest recently David Rahman, who was talking about in his book, this story of a woman who roasted a piece of meat in a tray 
I talk about this all the time. This one? And he, it wasn't a story. You know that I'd heard that story oh, before. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Like, yeah. This story has been shared around, you know, it's the truck, so but good. it's a beautiful example. Yeah, so, you, you know, know, you've got so, this thing that you do and you ask your mum why she doesn't. She goes, oh, I don't know. It's just the way we've always done it. And you ask your grandma, oh, it's the way we've always done it. And then great-grandma says, oh, it wouldn't fit in my oven. So I just used to cut it so it fit. <laughs> so, you know, passed down through the generations, we have these things that we just do and we don't question and until we actually look at them and go, oh, is that is that actually the best way to go about it? Learned then behavior. we can't really move along. And it's not always just learnt behaviour. Sometimes it's within our epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book that's, uh, that's called It Doesn't Start With You, you know, which really looks at constellation therapy and understanding the energetic information that is passed down through our mm-hmm. DNA. You know, in some cases, codes, behaviours that haven't been present, you know, in the maternal parent that, you know, become obvious, but it's within our genes. And that's interesting because whenever I do any form of work with anyone, and I don't care if it's on, you know, personal development, you know, performance development, business or parenting, I always start with step one. And step one is conscious. And by consciousness, I'm, I'm referring to not necessarily the spiritual context, but the context of awareness. Yeah. And this is where a lot of people kind of don't really understand. Our brain is, we, we are a trillion dollar piece of biotechnology, literally in a box to reproduce us. We're a trillion dollars worth of biotech. But no one gave us a fucking user's manual. So we think we're like, you know, like a matchbox car. But the human brain processes about 16 trillion bits of information every one second. That's an enormous amount of processing power. But when you look at it from a sensory perspective, on average, and again, I don't know how they work these calculations out, but in terms of the bits of information, 16 trillion bits are processed every second. The vast majority of that is filtered out because our sensory organs aren't equipped with the, I guess you could say, the resilience in our cables to be able to deal with that bandwidth of energy. Not surprised. you know, our cognitive misers whereby they're constantly filtering large volumes of information, only serving us what we deem to be valuable and important. And as a result, we're only conscious about 2,000 bits of that 16 trillion bits of information. And as a result, we walk around blind, you know, to pretty much, you know, 99.99999% of objective reality. Because most people is ob- is in subjective mm. reality. It's, you know, perception is reality. And so, well, not really. There's a bigger reality way beyond that. Alternative that facts. Most, yeah, yeah. Yeah, alternative facts <laughs> that most people will never get the opportunity to be able to taste. You know, and we, by virtue, create these scotomas, you know, in order to prevent us from, in some cases, going into overwhelm. Because how many times have you gone to the car but looking for something? You know, or and you've opened the cupboard, you go, I can't see the salt. And then you're yelling out, honey, where's the salt? And they're like, it's in the bloody cupboard. You're like, no, it's salt, I'm looking. And then they come and go, what's this? And you're like, oh, sorry, yeah, no, that wasn't. <laughs> or you're walking around going, has anyone seen my keys? And they're in your hand. Or you've got your, anyone seen my glasses? They're on my head. You <laughs> where's know, my phone? By virtue. They're on my face. <laughs> yeah. exactly. I can't find my phone. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes an enormous level of humility to develop the level of consciousness required to actually navigate this dimension in a way that is somewhat relatively. <laughs> easy compared to what because most people are like bumper cars they're driving around in fucking dodging cars with a blindfold on and they're constantly bumping into people and shit and going ow 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 and it's like you know at some point you've got to go okay at what level does the pain get so great in a particular area of life where you at some point awaken and go okay maybe I'm missing something here you know and then you start asking bigger questions what am I missing you know because I seem to be bumping into lots of people here okay <laughs> but the consistent fact is me yeah, no, I'm the consistent. I'm the constant in every fucking equation here. And That's so if we the can, key though, isn't it? Noticing it is, that you're, it could be you and not everybody else not and you're blaming be. everybody else. Let's fucking get this straight. It's not could be, it is you. <laughs> but that's why I talk about awareness and the concept. If you, if you want to develop awareness, don't start with fucking, you know, mystical scriptures. Start with you. <laughs> get to know you. Learn about you. What are your stories? What do you say to yourself? Because most of the time, you know, everyone has a voice in their head, but I ask this all the time, who's got a voice? Voice in the head. And there's always someone in the back room going like this. <laughs> and then they head they go, I don't have a voice in my head. Everybody's got a voice in their head, but it's depending on are you switched on enough and aware to be able to listen to that voice? And can you hear what it's saying? Because in most cases it's saying, you know, what grandma mum said or what dad said or what grandma said, but you've just heard that for so long you think it's the voice in your head and that's just you talking to yourself. But it's not until we go, hang on a second, where did that come from? Mm. Okay, maybe a supportive suggestion. And our brain's piece of biotech, they're very suggestible, very plastic. You, you punch in a command into your brain, it's going to respond. You, and I did this example at Nail It and Scale at one of my events where I literally, I, I, I suggest to the entire audience 34 times that they're going to do a specific behavior at a specific time. So 34 times I suggest you're going to do this behavior and you're going to do it at this time. And sure enough, between 60 to 70%, maybe sometimes 80% in that room, the very next morning, 
without fail, they all exhibit the exact behavior pretty much within a five minute window of that time frame. And, you know, you've got to then ask yourself, well, shit, if Kerwin can say something to me 34 times, it can influence my behavior, which by the way, I have clients still messaging me 10 years f- mm-hmm. from 10 years ago who are going, fuck you, K-Man, that's still happening every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not but like then I asked the question. or something. That, you I'm know, not you telling. Can't. You have to, you have to, oh, you have okay, to you have attend to, to find out. Yeah. But what I'm saying is how many times do we say something to ourselves, but we don't say it 34 times. We say it 34 million trillion times, 34 goggle times. It's like, yeah, I'm not good enough. I'm too fat. Oh, I'm such an idiot. It's just like, you are a, you're a fucking computer. <laughs> and if you put in that input, your brain will store it you know, it has storage capacity, as does your heart, and then it will regurgitate that in behaviours that will make you go, see, told you. Mm. Mm. It's so true. I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you think that this is where we, you, you can't say what's the one thing that we do wrong, but I feel like we've probably <laughs> already covered that this is definitely a starting point for a lot of people. It is the starting, well, but yeah. what do you do? So this, you yeah. know, we always have people that will say, oh, yeah, that's great, but that I can't do that or yes. how do I start to do that or... Oh. I can't. You know, how do you get favorite. conscious about that very thing, especially if, like you said, you know, say you know you do the same thing, that there's a pattern that gets repeated and mm. whether it gets repeated every week, every year, whatever it is, but you know that that's the thing that keeps on coming up for you that you're like, oh, man, I'm back here again and I know I'm doing it. What do we do? How do we change well, that? Okay, because the, the easy thing to say, you've got to start somewhere. Right. And so people say to me, okay, if I'm going to start a journey of self-awareness, where do I start? And I say, well, look, it depends on what, how, how you want to play this game. You know, you can, play, you can start by playing the mindful game where you start becoming mindful of what am I thinking? What am I saying? How is my body feeling? And that's a great, I guess you could say gateway, but I think a really solid first step. Because again, it all starts with self-awareness, not other awareness, because I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure everyone is very aware of everything they don't like about other people and that they don't like about the world. So, okay, well, let's start with you because every judgment that you have is based on a self-reflection. So everything you don't like about another person is a trait that you have disowned within yourself that you're projecting on the other and it's easy to hate someone else than yourself. Really? Everyone, everyone has all traits. And this is the thing. Everyone has, you have all the traits, Okay. You, and you might say, well, I'm a really honest person. I don't lie. Would you, would oh, you no. suggest it? Nah. We did a podcast on yeah. this. How often does the oh, average okay. person lie? I don't know, a lot. No, it was ridiculous. Uh, it was like 32 times a day or something. <laughs> yeah. So I actually studied, I studied deception for 15 years. I studied the best That's of the best. The only qualifications that I've got are qualifications around being able to detect physical and verbal and nonverbal deceptions. And that's what I learned. Everybody lies, but they all lie for different reasons. But when we talk about becoming aware, you know, I say, look, you can become mindful of the lies that you're telling yourself, but just become mindful of your body. And I suggest meditation. Then I hear this. Oh, I tried meditation. That doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, really? What happened? Well, I sat down, but I couldn't, my mind wouldn't, couldn't stop thinking. I was like, were you aware that you couldn't stop thinking? Yeah. <laughs> That's the fucking point of meditation. <laughs> it's like, they're like, well, I feel like I failed. No, you didn't fail. You just stopped. Because the goal is to, because most people think meditation is about sitting down and thinking about your problems. Because when I first started meditating, that's all I did. I said, I was like, fucking, I was like, shit, oh, fucking, this is bad, that's bad. <laughs> it was becoming aware. Holy shit. This is all the stuff that's going on in my head. Where's a better place that my awareness can land that I can go to when I become conscious that I'm thinking about lots of stuff? Yeah. And I started with the body. What does the body feel like? Start with the breath. Okay, what does the breath feel like? I'll think about my breath. Okay, just focus on your breath. Focus. Most people can't even feel the, the oxygen going mm. in and out of their nose. Right? And when I learned Vipassana, the first thing you do is Anapana, you learn to feel the sensation of breath just passing you know, across the top of the bridge of your, uh, of your lip there. And most people don't have the capacity to do that. But when they try, their brain kicks in and they're like, oh, I'm thinking. And it's like, well, okay, did you just catch yourself thinking? Yes, great. Now come back. Hmm. But don't beat yourself up. Every time you catch yourself thinking, think of it like a cloud that's passing through your mind. But more importantly, think of it like catching your child that you adore and you love doing something they shouldn't be doing. Would you go, oh, you fucking idiot. You can't do, sorry, you're probably not allowed to swear on this, am I? Well, too late now. Too late now, you bloody idiot. Why did you do that? You can't meditate. You're so stupid. You should just give it, you wouldn't say that to a child. Mm. So why the bloody hell would you say it to yourself? We had a a talk about that the other day and about if you've got those awful thoughts, then write it down in a text message to yourself, but don't send it. So once you've written it out, you read it and you see how ridiculous it is. And so you delete it. So rather than having that thought where you say to yourself, you're, you know, like exactly what you just said, you're worthless, you can't do it, don't try, blah, blah, blah. You see, you see it written in front of you and and then, yeah. And I'd suggest you take one step further. Mm. Delete that text message and then write a new one. Mm-hmm. Write Re- the one you want. It, rewrite the story. 
because we are cognitive beings. We are meaning orientation creatures. We are a programmable piece of bio software hardware and we are programmable and everything we suggest to ourselves, like as if I suggest something to you 34 times, there's a very high probability you'll carry through with it. And as soon as we become aware that we are sending the wrong text messages to ourselves, then we can start becoming aware of, okay, what what text messages should I be sending myself Mm. 34 times a day? And start realizing that, well, hang on, I'm going to say that I'm beautiful, I'm amazing, I have a photographic memory, everything I see here, smell, taste, touch, and read, I can recall with crystal clear accuracy. And you're going to go, oh, that feels a bit weird. Of course it's going to feel fucking weird because you've never said it to yourself before, you know? <laughs> but the more you say it to yourself, the only, the only reason that these bad suggestions feel good is because they're familiar, mm. you know? And so familiarity breeds trust and we trust those signals. We trust that information. But then we start to go, hang on, that information, because the psychology has four layers to it, okay? And and this is what I've identified. The first layer of the psychology is our learning layer. And so we we are absorbing information from the environment. But we are, the way our brains operate, we create meaning. And we create meaning through reference. And those references are referenced through moving pictures. And those moving pictures are stories, either stories that we've told or stories that we've seen or stories that we've seen that have been validated by our own experience or what we've, and vice versa. So we're constantly looking for meaning. But what our brain does is we can't keep all these stories in our head the whole time because otherwise we wouldn't be able to function. And so the brain, just like a computer does, it creates shortcuts. And those shortcuts are the next layer of our psychology, which is a belief. And that belief is a filtering mechanism that determines what we should pay attention to and what we shouldn't pay attention to. Okay, And then from there, those beliefs over time, they grow roots and they go really, 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 really deep into our deep sub-psyche and that produces what we call a value system or a values hierarchy. And they're the motives and a motive is a reason for. You know, and if people say, well, I'm not motivated, then it's not that you're not motivated, you're just not aware of your motives to do things. And people say to me, what's the best book on motivation? What's the best? I was like... <laughs> The best book of motivation is fucking meditation and get to know you, start with you, but then start exploring your own psychology and going, what, what are my values? And you might go, well, my values are honesty and integrity and, and family. Okay, now let's write those down. Now let's look at every single fucking behavior you demonstrated last week. And is that true? Not based on what you tell me, because a value is always expressed in a behavior. Not sometimes, always Every day you're expressing your values through your behaviors. And so people go, oh, I really value money, Colonel. Have you got any? No. It's <laughs> like saying, I really value health, but I'm like 50 kilos overweight. It's, mm. uh, it does not compute. But a lot of people have these social concepts around things that they think should be important, that they say are important because that's what creates connection and relevance in, in social environments. But when you can start to look at your behaviors, you can get really bloody honest with yourself and go, shit, these are what my real values are. Great, now I know what they are. How do I actually define them in ways and how do I place my goals within those values to, to ensure that I'll have adequate levels of motivation to follow through? Because people say, oh, you know, I've set goals, but it doesn't work. No, you just set goals that are outside your values. You know? And he, people say, this is a great one. And people say, oh, I'm such a loyal person. And I go, loyal to what? And they go, well, loyal to others. I'm like, bullshit you are. And they're like, what? How dare you say that? I say, you're not loyal to anyone. You're loyal to your values. Okay, you might say you're loyal to your partner, but I guarantee if you're in a monogamous container and your partner goes out every Friday night and gets shit-faced and, you know, screws around, all of a sudden that loyalty is going to diminish very quickly and you're going to move yourself on. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but what I am saying is we are loyal to our values, not to people and not to things. And when we start to understand our, uh, we are loyal to values, but it's our values that determine our drive. And if we don't have drive, then we're not focusing on the things that we value, you know, and that's where self-discovery basically answers all the questions of what am I here to do? You know, because once you spend enough time with yourself, you start to work out what your values are. And this is where we go, stories, okay, that's the coding system for the brain that then determines your beliefs, which is how we filter information that then determines our values, which determine what we do and what we don't do. And you add all those three things up, what do you have? You have an identity. Who the fuck are you? Mm. You know, not what do you do? Who are you? You know, and there's, well, what that's do you a want very... to be perceived as you do? Truly, who are you? Like the, the, the a, facade. And is the, and, well, that's real. the thing. So many people are focusing on the facade. Yeah. So many not f- the people are focusing on, well, how do I want people to see me? Mm, who cares? Take that and put it in where the sun doesn't <laughs> shine. I don't care about what people perceive. I care about being aligned within myself. But how can I be aligned within myself if I don't know who I am? Mm, I love all that. And I love that you've got the structure for it. I think the most interesting thing is trying to find your way into that. And like you say, meditation was a thing for you. Maybe it's just the breathing. Because I I think the more you think about it and are open to what does trigger you in a good way, you do find things. Like the other day, I learned about this idea of the in-breath 
which is so like I've been breathing for a long time now. <laughs> Are you, you sure? Know? <laughs> <laughs> I have. But, but I, and have also you. I've been breathing in a professional capacity <laughs> using my voice for a long time too, but I had never thought about the in-breath, right? Because most of us, we just breathe and that just happens. But the power of the in-breath is amazing. And I learned this because what you do is you let your body breathe, let you breathe out and then you just stop and you let your body breathe in when it's ready without going <gasps> like that. Mm. And it calms you almost immediately. And I was like, this is a light bulb moment for me that I feel like I should have known, but it's this really basic thing. And for me, it was just this little doorway in to that. You've opened a big doorway with that, Good. with what you've just said as well. Because when we when we start getting to the depths of self-awareness, everyone expects, well, if I start meditating, I should be a fucking yogi by Wednesday, right? <laughs> <laughs> haven't got long, better get cracking. <laughs> but when we start talking about developing levels of awareness, the most important awareness that you'll ever have is your awareness of breath. And that's why I start with that. I say start with breath. Because your breath will determine everything. If you're in anxiety, if you're in excitement, if all you've got to do is listen to the breath and it'll tell you where, where am I at. But it is also the key to unlocking performance and potential in every aspect of your life. Because when you experience any information that you deem to be triggering from an emotional perspective or from a stress perspective, our ability to be able to regulate those situations determines how objective we can maintain our perspective mm. in order to be able to not make really bad decisions. Because when we're emotional, we literally lose 50% of the, like if I'm in an angry state, I lose 50% of all available information to me in my very, in my already very limited sphere of information. Because why? Emotions create emotional bias. And we have a, we live in a dual existence where even at a material level, every aspect of every atom is made up of equal parts of negative charge and equal parts of positive charge. And that filters all the way up through to experience. Because you look in nature, there's just no good or bad. There is just what cycles. You know, when the tree falls in the forest, all the other trees don't go, oh my God, Frank, he was such a good tree. We're really so going to miss him. He was so loyal, you know, steadfast, a solid guy. Shade. But, you know, when the tree falls in the forest, they celebrate because it's like they're rejoicing in the fact that Frank, Frank is now being recycled back into the mm. environment. You know, and by virtue of that, we've got to understand there is no negative experience and there is no positive experience. There are just experiences that people apply a psychological value to that is either a negative or it's a positive. Mm. And because nature, take the human out of it. There is no good or bad. That's fucking arrogant to assume that a sunset is either good or bad. Who are we as a speck in a fucking gigantic universe to actually label any experience in nature separate from a human and go, well, that's good, that's bad. And what I've discovered is... You know, the root of all suffering is contained in bias. The bias of only being able to look at one side of an equation and go, oh my God, that was just so terrible. No, it wasn't. There was equal parts good, but you just haven't spent the time to identify what they are because you get a lot of needs met by just thinking it's bad. You get mm. certain emotional you know, neuropeptides that are giving you certain cellular nutrition or cellular uh, responses, cellular feelings that make you feel a certain way. There are certain needs are being met by the connection that you get by sharing this bad thing because other people love to hear about your bad thing because they've got bad things too and that makes you feel like you're normal people. You know, and so once we start to understand that there's a duality in everything, it helps us to be able to regulate our experience in a way that helps us navigate with a lot more clarity. Because how many times have you made a bad decision when you're angry or you're really excited? Because mm. most people say, well, I don't make bad decisions, but make, get that person really angry and then force to make a decision, they'll make a bad decision. Yep. How many times have you been super excited and then you've made a decision and then you come down and go, fuck, why did I do that? <laughs> how many times? Yeah, like buy, you know, buy a cheap flight like starting somewhere a podcast. and that didn't <laughs> yeah. end up being that, <laughs> that cheap. Starting a podcast. Starting a or podcast. how many times have you been angry and then you know, made a decision and come down and go, oh, that was a really bad decision. Mm. See, a Emotions, we're not even talking stress yet. Emotions themselves work on the same receptors in the brain that alcohol, barbiturates and narcotics do. And so when you're experiencing an emotion, you're high. And we've got enough evidence to suggest that when you're under the intoxication of an emotion, you will not behave as what you would as if you were calm and neutral. And so it's important to understand a lot of our decisions that we make that are wrong are often made because we're making them while we're drunk. And I'm sure you'd agree <laughs> the worst thing you could do when you have to make a big decision is go and chug seven liters of alcohol or even a, you know, four shots of alcohol. But that's what some people, oh, I need to get myself in a state of positivity in order to make this decision. No, all you're doing is you're creating a, you know, a sense of confidence in a moment that is perhaps augmenting a perspective that is preventing you from seeing both sides. You know, because sometimes people get really excited about an opportunity and as a result, what happens? They become vulnerable to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Sometimes people get really fearful of opportunities and as a result, they become skeptics and they miss out on big opportunities. But our goal is to be able to learn how to sit in the middle so we can see the aspects of both sides and then go, okay, I can see the good and the bad. Now for me, knowing myself and my body, what feels right? Yeah. 
you know? And so for me, we need to learn how to regulate the emotional experience in order to be able to live in a world where we aren't governed by a bias. And the same with stress. Most people don't know how to regulate stress. And as a result, a stressful experience is, and you know, Nat, you know all about stress, I'm sure with the hormones, the work and hormones you do, within seven minutes of someone experiencing a stressful event, you lose 40 to 50% of your IQ. Cortisol levels start going through the roof. That just gums and whippersnippers your estrogen or whippersnippers your testosterone. Symptoms of that are weight gain. You know, it affects the, your, your body's ability to convert proteins. And as a result, you know, we lose IQ we can't think straight. Mm. It's carcinogenic. It lowers DHA. Like it's all bad news. But most people in life, you know, especially if you're a parent, you've got plenty of opportunities to be stressed. If you're in business, there's plenty of opportunities to be stressed. Most people are making bad decisions, not because they're stupid, but they're making decisions <laughs> in situations where they're not regulated from a stress perspective or an emotional. Now you combine stress and emotion, it's a fucking nuclear event. But most people don't know how to regulate stress as a result, to be able to, okay, I'm in a high stress. And this is the difference between high performance, elite performance, and amateur performance. Elite performance, these guys have learned a level of resilience to be able to regulate stress and regulate emotion in high stakes, high pressure situations so they don't lose context or composure so that they can make clear and decisive actions or decisions. Okay, now we go back to the breath. How do the elite special forces maintain regulation when they're dropped into a war zone and they've got mortality all around them, you know, bombs going off and they're being shot at? Okay, how does the guy who's on the football field is about to convert in front of, you know, 300,000 people in a stadium with this 3 million or 300 million people, you know, tuning? How does the entrepreneur when he's in a, a sales presentation, he's getting objections or how does the parent when in a situation where the kid is just pressing their fucking buttons and, you know, the parent just wants to, how do you regulate? What is the number one go-to? Breathe. You breathe. But I was going to say, or say a swear word and then apologise, which would be the other. <laughs> That's my world. I, 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 I'm like, I might have done that. I swear, apologise to the child and yeah. then I breathe. Yeah. But, but for me, one of the things <laughs> that we've learned <laughs> is we've learned that if we can consciously learn to regulate breath, it has the capacity and the capability to reset the autonomic nervous system, mm. which is to reset the stress response, reset the emotional response so that we can actually maintain perspective. But when most people get stressed, what do they do? Mm. <gasps> they mm. hold their breath. When most people are emotional, what do they do? Mm. <gasps> they hold their breath. And what do people say? Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Yes, so you're right. Don't hold your breath waiting for something to happen. Um, exactly, because you'll fuck it up. Yeah. Sorry, I, I swear. Uh, way too much. Oh, it's fine. We put an E on this This whole one. podcast is going to be... Fine. <laughs> it's going to be... It's, no, we're going to leave it in just there. We're not just going to warn in the card. I think the last 12 months or, or 2020 as a whole was an amazing year to identify that thought that people see things differently and that mm -hmm. you need to be able to look at the way you interpret things and then look at the way someone who is taking, you know, the opposite out of the information you're getting and they're interpreting it in a completely opposite fashion and see that that is a real thing that we have to navigate as human beings. And it was mm -hmm. on a scale that we have never experienced before last Absolutely. year, obviously. But I just found it so fascinating to go, how can you know, this truth that people believe be so yeah. different out of the same set of facts. It's easy because everyone receives a different, everyone hears a different story. Everyone has a different set of beliefs. So that story will determine on some level what's already there based on an underlying belief. Those beliefs will determine what they actually hear and what they don't and their values of how they respond and how they won't respond. So to me, I understand why everyone thinks differently. But what I think is what's required is not... Uh, conflict, what's required is, you know, Stephen Covey said it best himself, seek first to understand in order to be understood. Mm. You know, and I call it the deframe reframe where you literally seek to go and oh, let me understand your perspective, right? And then let me help you think differently. Not because I'm necessarily want to influence you, but if perhaps your, your perspective is unhealthy, you know, and it's taking you down a dark foreign path that's not going to serve you, let's just try and create alternative perspectives mm that can perhaps give you new information so that you can make new decisions. And so for me, I, I never want to change someone's mind. I always want to give them all the information and then you fucking decide, okay? <laughs> but I don't want you to make a decision with only 1% of the information that's available to you. But most people are making decisions with less than that. Mm. And I think also asking the questions, is that's the one thing that I found really useful, is just to ask questions rather than prod in, or, you know, like you said, when you frame it that way, people start to become more curious. It's a, then they go on their own path of discovery. They don't want to be preached to. They don't want to be told what nah. to do. No one does. But I want to ask the question, I want to bring it to business for a little minute if I can, yeah, because go. this stuff is so important for us individually. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, especially using the example of 2020 and that whatever that sort of gift was <laughs> for you, the gift that kept on giving. But what do we do when we're f- falling apart personally, but we're business owners and we kind of have to keep it together? How can, can, I mean, can like, do they both just turn to crap? I don't know. I was just... Really well, here's the thing. To, yeah, at some point, you know, let's just say you you decide you're going to run a marathon, right? But then all of a sudden, you realise, holy shit, the marathon's already started, but I've done no training. It's going to be a hard fucking marathon, right? <laughs> and so, the reason that a lot of people fell apart last year is because they didn't prepare. Yeah, and they weren't prepared for you know a range of scenarios that could happen. And so for me, you know, I think the one of the reasons that so many peer, people experienced so much distress last year is number one, they weren't prepared. But also number two, it's not just so much about not being prepared, it's about having the tools to use when something like that actually happens. And as I said, we've got this trillion dollar piece of biotechnology, and I'm not kidding because I want you to think about this. The last 80 years in computer science has been dedicated to try and replicate what? The human brain. You look at every aspect of computers. You look at every aspect. Even a search engine is replicated on how the brain retrieves information. Yeah, it is. So we've spent 80 years trying to replicate the human brain. We've invested hundreds of trillions of dollars into this to try and replicate what we already have. But no one gave us a user's manual, did they? (laughs) And you, you ladies are probably... I don't want to sound rude here, but there was a, a TV show that I remember when I was a kid that you know many people won't because I was born in the 70s. It was called The Greatest American Hero. I Do you remember that. I don't. Greatest American Hero, best. Well, it starts right. with this guy, this great character, this very aloof, dopey character who's driving through the desert. His car breaks down. He gets beamed up onto a spaceship. They give him this suitcase <laughs> that has a, a Superman in suit inside with a little cartridge of box of instructions. He gets beamed back down to Earth and he's, you know, he's so chuffed with what's just happened that he's running back to his car and the, in- the user's manual falls out and he gets into his car, drives home, he goes to the, the box, he's like, oh, I'm, I swear there was a user's manual here somewhere. All right, doesn't matter. I'll just put on the super suit. And then he puts on the super suit and he's like, okay, so how does this thing work? You know, he's like, mm, mm, mm. and then all of a sudden, I don't know, he goes, Hur! and then he goes flying through the roof, <laughs> spiraling around, banging into cars, <laughs> off the ground, through billboards, in the side of buildings. And it's about this aloof superhero who has this capacity to be able to do incredible things, but he has no idea how to use his powers. And that's what I see as the human endeavor. We are literally, <laughs> and I, I don't want to get into philosophy here, but we literally are one of the most powerful aspects of nature's creations, but most people are walking around like they're literally, you know, acting like they're a matchbox car. <laughs> and so for me, in situations like this, you know, or how do we handle 2020? Well, first of all, you've got to have a user's manual for what do I do when shit goes wrong? Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. most people, they go, well, what did dad do? Well, dad fucking drank. Okay. What did mum do? Mum yelled. Okay. What did, what did auntie Joyce do? Well, auntie Joyce just ran away, you know? Whereas one of the things I've identified is, you know, it's not only about us learning how to prepare, but it's also us getting the tools so that when things do happen, that we can actually use them. And, and the, the best example is this, personal development. And how many, how many people do you know that have been to a personal development seminar? Mm, probably a couple. Lots? Lots. Okay. Yeah. How many people do you know that are just ace at life when life is going well? <laughs> They're just great. But then the moment life throws them a curveball, fucking everything spirals out of control. And this is what I say, personal development is easy. When it's 28 degrees, you've got a 15 knot win and you've got dolphins off the starboard bow. <laughs> personal <laughs> development has never been easier. But how personally developed are you when you see a storm front? How personally developed are you when you see that storm front approaching you? How personally developed are you when you realize, shit, that's not a storm front, that's a cyclone. And then how personally developed are you when you're in that cyclone? I don't care how many things you can recite from Tony Robbins or you know Brian Tracy or the Law of Attraction. What I care about is when you're in a shit storm, what are your default behaviors? Mm. And for me, your default behavior should come as a base of fundamentals that you've learned to do when learning how to play the game of being human. Mm. You know, when you're in a tennis match, when Federer is down the line and he's, you know, break point or whatever the fucking called, break set, break point, he's <laughs> about to win, win or lose Wimbledon. Match Does he point. pull out new tennis shots? No. He just makes sure he nails the fundamentals. And most people don't know what the fundamentals are. And so as a result, they haven't practiced the fundamentals. And so when the shit hits the fan, their fundamentals in most cases are not fundamentals at all. You know, they are, if anything, elementary aspects of things that they've learned that are dysfunctional based on how they've observed other people handle bad situations, other people handle stress, Mm. other people handle chaos. Is it a a thing though, I've noticed in myself that sometimes something will happen, the the cyclone or, or variations of it, and then afterwards I'll go, I think I, you know, I kind of give myself a rating on how I thought I got through it. And most of the time I think, oh yeah, you know, there was room for improvement, but I think overall I, I did okay. 
Like, is that what people do or am I weird? <laughs> oh, look, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Am but, I but, weird? But here's, but here's what I do know. There's going to be a disproportionate amount of people in the next three years who last year were going, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that ever happened. And there'll be a disproportionate amount of those people in the next three to five years who will be looking back and going, hmm. Well, actually not. You know what? I'm actually really glad that happened. Mm. You know what? In hindsight, that's probably the best thing that's ever happened to my life. I can't mm. tell you how many business owners and executives who, who I've spoken to have, who in some cases have been punched in the nuts and they've actually gone, come back and gone, you know what? I did cop a real uppercut to the lower sensation, but I spent more time with my family than I've spent in the last 10 years. Yeah. And I now get to know my kids. So, you know what? It was worth it. Yeah. And this is the beauty. Hindsight is incredibly productive, but most people execute it when it's too late. What I'm suggesting based on the, you know, the, the insights and the, the you know, aspects of the tools I already suggested, hindsight is something, is a tool that most people deploy years after the fact. Yeah, too late. How, just imagine this. Imagine if you had a hindsight button that you could press within the first three minutes. Right. But what about also drawing on previous experiences the last time you felt that way? Like you actually have the ability to do that. You've often experienced it before. And in most cases, your experience was was filtered based on a bias of perspective and emotion. But that hindsight button is nothing more than a bad event happening. And literally within seconds, you're going, ah, I'm angry. I'm stressed and everything else. What's the benefit of this? How is this serving me? What skills, mm. knowledge, and experience am I gaining as a result of this experience in this moment, moment mm. right now that's going to make me better, faster, and sharper tomorrow? Yep. And you might go, nothing, 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 nothing. Bullshit. Keep asking those questions until it becomes a routine that you practice in moments of stress. And then all of a sudden, and because I do this all the time, whenever I have something that goes north or south or any direction other than straightforward, I'm asking this. What's the benefit of this? How is this serving me? What skills, knowledge, and experience am I gaining as a result of this going to make me better, sharper, faster? today than I was yesterday or tomorrow than I am today. And so by virtue, what happens is at first it's like nothing, nothing. And it's like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. Oh, I'm getting a new perspective. I'm learning something. Before we know it, we're not imbalanced, we're in balance. Yeah. And when we're in balance and not imbalanced, we don't have bias, we have perspective. Okay, but, we're not being judgmental, we're being objective and we're not subject to the situation, we're looking above it. But that's mm-hmm. what I was sort of thinking, you know, I, I had that moment where I went, how did I handle that? Yeah, okay, I'll give myself an eight. That was all right. <laughs> give out eight stars. Yeah. There's a theme here. I feel like as we wrap up that it's about everything we've spoken about, everything you've spoken about, Cohen, has not been about the fact that you're not going to at times stuff up as a parent or say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing or not be able to meditate and get yourself. It's not that you don't go there. It's how quickly can you pull yourself back? Yeah. How quickly can you be aware and bring yourself back? And what is your relationship with not getting there? What is your relationship with failure? Mm. And I think most people go, oh, I have a fear of failure. You don't have a fear of failure. You just don't have a relationship with it. Because you are ashamed of it. You've been taught to be ashamed of it. You've taught to be guilty of it. You've been taught to be, in some cases, humiliated by it. Whereas failure is something that we need to do, build a very deep and conscious relationship with. You know, because most people are trying to focus on building a relationship with success. Man, that is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Because success in most cases is fleeting and most people don't get it. And so as a result, what do a lot of people have in their life? Failure. Get to know failure. Get to know your response. And do you fear? Oh, do you hide failure? Or do you welcome it into your life as an avenue to go, you know what? I failed. Great. Mm-hmm. What was the benefit of that? Yeah. What yeah. skills, knowledge, and experience did I gain as a result of that? How's it going to make me better, faster, sharper tomorrow than I was yesterday? Failure is essential. And the person who fails the most, the quickest, is the one who will succeed. And that's great for entrepreneurs because the rest of the world is out there, you know, trying so <laughs> hard about. not to fail. <laughs> <laughs> or if they are failing, they're pretending it never happened. And so they don't ask any empowering questions. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, as someone who's had an enormous amount of success, but a ridiculously disproportionate amount of failure, I have learned fuck all from my success. Mm, Apart true. from the fact that it feels good for a moment mm. and if you're not careful, it becomes an addiction that most people chase that can lead to a lot of dysfunction. I have learned the reality of success is as a natural consequence of doing certain fundamentals consistently right. Mm. It's just a natural consequence. It's not something that I have to chase. I don't even think about, I don't think about success. I don't think about money. I think what are the fundamentals that I need to do that if I do these as a natural consequence, money will flow. Yeah. As a natural consequence, success will flow. And as a natural consequence, I will experience failure. But what is failure's goal? Failure has a very specific goal, okay, that most people, it wasn't in in their user's manual. It's there to identify the gap. In most cases, it's not a gap, it's a chasm. You're here, you want to be here. Okay, there's this chasm. And you've just become aware of this chasm because you failed, all right? So let me ask you a question. What skill, knowledge, or experience is missing (laughs) that led to that failure? 
identify it and go and be obsessive to mm. learn it. And then next time, did you ever play Donkey Kong? You guys are kind yes. of uh, yeah. yes. okay, my age. Yeah. So <laughs> I've still got the you, console. <laughs> that from the Atari, you've still got the Atari? Yeah, i got the little flip the, up, the oh, little the Game Nintendo Boy? game. The game Boy. Oh no, before a Game Boy. Before. Oh, anyway, like carry on. Remember when you first started playing video games? Mm. Like when you died, did you just go, oh, like on the first run no, of Donkey Kong, did you go, no. well, fuck, I'm clearly not meant to play Donkey Kong. <laughs> or did you go, oh, you know what? The reason the reason I died on the, the third rung is because the third rung, he drops one down, he doesn't roll one down. And oh you go, right, so next time I'm going to adapt. Yes. And I'm going to jump or I'm going to go up that ladder instead of trying to run to the end and you know jump over the top. And then you go, oh, okay, so let's adapt. Life is a fucking video game. I love it. But most people are so convinced that they've only got one life. Failure gives us a disproportionate, countless stream of lives that we can use to fail to identify the skill, knowledge, or experience gap that's required to get up that rung and, you know, kick Donkey Kong's ass. That's a really good analogy. I like it. And sorry, I just started giggling before because a, a Thomas the Tank Engine song popped into my head <laughs> that my son used to, we used to watch this DVD of Thomas the Tank Engine songs, like, you know, round the clock, you know, when a toddler gets obsessed by something. And it had this song of the train singing a song that went, never, never, never give up, even though your day is rough. I thought we weren't allowed to sing songs. Don't stop trying when you're... I don't think that's a real song. <laughs> anyway. ABC's coming Yeah, up. yeah. But it was it was all about, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, then try, try and again. try again. Nothing it. in life is it. simple, Man. but you'll get there in the end. And I was like, See? The music industry has a lot to be responsible for when yeah. they consider the conditioning and the suggestions they put. Like if you look at my most played songs on my Spotify Thomas the Tank and you went through the lyrics, <laughs> it's all about... Like whatever it takes, it's all about unstop. It's all about like yes. it, it's literally a script, and I have a very specific set of songs that I listen to on the regular basis with my son in the car. Yeah, and it's all programming, all programming, all programming. You know, and again, what we watch now—that's where I probably drop the ball a lot because I love, I love movies, TV. Like I, people say, you know, oh, rich people—they have a small TV and a big library. You know, and 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 poor people have a big TV and a small library. And I say, well, I have fucking huge ones of both. <laughs> You know, because I appreciate, I really do. I appreciate good film. I appreciate, and I'm now doing a lot of stuff in film, you know, documentary, and we're also looking at feature. But I, I really appreciate the value of sitting down and spending an hour watching a flick. Mm. And sometimes it's a bit gory, but I'm, what's interesting is what I watch now, and I still have a wide range of taste, but what I watched 20 years ago is very different. Yeah, I used to be able yeah. to watch horror movies yeah. 20 oh, years no. ago. I can't. No. I can't watch I used to love horror movies 20 years ago, 25, to almost 30 years ago. Now I watch a horror movie and I'm like, I just no. don't want that information in my no, head. I don't want that no, 100%. You know what? Around. It's true you say, it's funny you say this because when Geordie was born, so Geordie's got cystic fibrosis and that was, you know, at the time, who knows, you're in a, a complete disarray. You'd like, life's mm -hmm. over. Like, this is ridiculous. But that was one of the things I started doing. I, I am not watching anything scary, anything sad, anything about children losing their lives or anything. I was like, not going to do it. So, you know, <laughs> my my catalogue's pretty small. It's like rom-coms, <laughs> comedies yes. and uh, feel, feel good. good. Yeah. But truly, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. I do not watch anything. I can't Having even watch The Lion King. Having said Aww. that, do you know what Chris made me do when George, Livy, this is when Livy was first born, she was maybe six weeks old and he made me watch Taken. Oh, no, 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 no. That is it, oh. I'm done. You are no. never picking the movie ever again. No. That is it. I was so, and also six weeks postpartum. Yeah, you're not no, in your right no. mind. No. It was awful. It was yep. awful. Yeah. Anyway. I, I'm I surprised just, you're still together. I know. I, I think know. Um, <laughs> on top of that, reality TV. I won't let my kids watch shows that are just people being horrible to each oh, other no, no, and edited like oh, for that I've reason. I've got first-hand experience of when I was in a relationship where, both of us got into uh, the Kardashians. I'm willing to admit this. And I've got the humility and the vulnerability to well admit done. this. And I think we watched, uh, she continued to continue watching, but I think I watched four seasons of the Kardashians before I realized that we started having the same fights. Wow. Right. Oh, wow. So interesting. And I was just like, you know what? I don't want this shit in my head. No. no. So, wow. This has been mm. so good. Do you know, Kerwin, you've got a array, array, that's not the word, a variety, mm. such an array, yes, yeah, an of array. Um, resources and information. Anyone can head over to your website, which is kerwinray.com. And you've got a podcast, which is unstoppable. So people need yes. to go and take a listen and 
you know. And check you out on the podcast. Oh, yeah, you go were, and listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> find out about the painful penis episode. Yeah, yeah, that was good. We that should was... have actually called that episode the painful penis. Actually, we probably got a lot yeah, more. Yeah, rename it. Go Maybe. On. That's okay. You can always <laughs> republish. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Great to meet that. you. I really, really love your energy. And Cecilia, so nice to meet you. You you do clearly have a voice that has been trained to do this kind of stuff as well. But yeah, if I can ever do anything for you ladies awesome. in the future, do not hesitate. All Thank right. you. Have Maybe a great in real life. Imagine. <laughs> in real life. Real. Imagine. Imagine that's a real life interview. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Namaste. Bye. Namaste. He has so much amazing energy. Uh-huh. I love listening to him. I highly recommend if you're not following him on Instagram, mm. go and do it because the content that he shares yeah. is awesome. Okay. I'm, um, I'm doing I would it right liken now. him a little bit to Gary V. Yes, right. Yes, a very tough love, but a lot of love. Like, you know. My mentor's like that. She's very tough love, but she's got a lot of love, if that makes any sense. Mm, well, yeah. it's good. Sometimes you yeah. need that. I always say that if you, you know, when you go to hospital and you get the nice nurses oh, yes. and then you get the tough love nurse yeah. that goes, righto, pull yourself together. Yep. Off you go. Suck it up, soldier. <laughs> Suck um, it up, soldier. I, do, I do like that idea too, that I think we can quite easily, you know, do a little bit of self-assessment as to oh, how yes. we handled situations, yeah. especially when it comes to parenting. I might have at two o'clock in the morning said, with somebody and then gone, sorry, I shouldn't have Well, you know what I need to do? Word. I know that it's, I know, but taking a breath first, I think I'm going to adopt that. Yes. I do it at work. <laughs> I can do it everywhere, but not with my children. But I can do it. I can be the person at work that truly is awesome in a crisis. I am not awesome in a crisis with my children. No, it's different. I guess you can't always do all things to everyone, can you? No. Anyway. I need to go and have a Bex and a lie down now after that. I think he, yes. Well, I just want to say I'm a little bit sad because I don't have a review to read out today. So please. You know, sometimes it's okay. You know that they're there. And the, you can go back and look at the ones that are that are there and reread <laughs> yes, them, and I'm it's just, okay. You don't, Cecilia. I'm trying know. to pull on the heartstrings of the people to I, go and read the review. Did I? So if you go on, just go and do that, and um, <laughs> make my day. Just make my day. We hope that we've made your day with this episode. No, I'm trying to tell you that sometimes you can just look inwards and go, "I'm good at this. No need. It's okay." I know. I know. You I, just want more. I, I know. do know that. There's my always love more. Language is. Words of affirmation, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Give me that. Bring it on. All right, you can have that. All, All right, right anyway. until next time, we hope that you have a Bex and a lie down and that you are feeling a little bit happier, healthier, and a lot better. Bye. See ya. 